0: hello
1: fellow kids
0: this is recording by the way oh
1: shit (laughs) please edit this out we were just talking about something inappropriate
0: hello fellow kids and welcome to episode 21 of hello fellow kids we're now
1: old enough to drink
0: half of us will i mean not for this episode because we're not talking about things that make us sad and miserable
1: no i'm having tea because i'm ill
0: So this is a very special pre-holiday episode, where instead of talking about a book that we read recently, we're going to talk about a bunch of books that we've read in the past. Uh, This is kind of our, like, personal uh, hall of fame for some of our favorite YA teen children's books. The reasons why we still read that genre, even though we're outside of the target demographic.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ones that are like, this goes above and beyond just being a story for kids um it's just
1: a good story it's just a good story oh no wonder you were looking at this i'm sorry there we go yeah you're like eyeing it so bad i'm like don't worry about it i'm like oh his cord sorry i have a teaspoon um all over my snotty (laughs) it's all gonna go in the garbage anyway except the spoon (laughs) i'm sorry everybody
0: we've also already been recording for an hour and a half because we did a different episode the same day so we're gonna be a little loopy and
1: we wanted to end on something positive yeah
0: So, yeah, so we're going to be talking about some of our favorites. This is not a the best. It's an our favorites. So so
1: don't argue with us.
0: We're not wrong. Yeah. You can.
1: Or I don't want to hear you forgot. No, I fucking didn't. I know what I like. Okay.
0: (laughs) I might have forgot a couple of things. That's what honorable mentions are for.
1: (laughs) Feel free to send us what your favorites are. And Please do. May- maybe we'll hear like a see a title there that we've never that will be intrigued by, and maybe we'll cover that book. Yeah. So I'm all for that. Yeah. Just don't argue with me. I hate that shit. Nothing makes me more combative and less likely to like your thing than if you argue with me.
0: And again, I will be the one who sees it first.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it's a good thing Mars not in control of this. <laughs> I'll be like, bitch is saying what? Select all, delete. <laughs> and you're like, why we haven't had any feedback i'm like no we haven't and then i said <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so we've made personal top tens um and we're just gonna go back and forth counting counting all the countin way to, to, to one uh, number ten <laughs> wait are we are we going no
1: huh?
0: i mean we can uh, <laughs> I, um, I didn't
1: mean to rush this along i didn't know if he had more to say
0: uh, i read a lot of series and i would venture to guess that a lot of people who've read a lot of YA I've got some series on a lot here. Of series. I only have one in here that, like, I am talking about the series as a whole. There are a couple that are part of a series, but I'm specifically focusing on one book. Oh, can we just say um,
1: Harry Potter? Yes. Not actually on our list, because I said we're not putting it on the list. So just consider it addressed. Go ahead. Did you put yours on your list anyway? No. Okay. Because you're going to give me that look like, what are you doing?
0: No, it's not on here. <laughs> okay. Because um, I, again, yeah. We,
1: we didn't forget it. It's just everything has been discussed about that book that can't be discussed, in, or that series we're not gonna bring anything else yeah
0: yeah and then i tried to i tried to pick stuff that i didn't think a lot of there are a couple that i think a lot of people will know but a lot of them are ones that i think might traditionally get overlooked
1: mine is so basic like everyone's gonna make fun of me (laughs) for how basic it is that's okay
0: i probably haven't read too many of them
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you'd be surprised what i haven't read (laughs) no i wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) Number ten. Every Judy Blume book now. Oh shoot! I've just read the Fudge books. I've read the Fudge's. Fudges. Uh, I like Cornelius. I like Elber. I like. We should get going with the real list. Quick editor's note: Expect full spoilers for any books that we talk about. You have been warned. All right. My number ten and your number ten. How about yours? Okay. Number ten for me is Dragon's Milk by Susan Fletcher.
1: They're not mammals. How does this work?
0: Right? Uh, So it, I never, uh, it's apparently the first of a four book. You okay? I clumped my tooth with my mug. No. Do you still have all your tooth? Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. That'd be really funny if you had like a, a, like a partial already. And so you're just like, oh my God. You mean like Ed Helms? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So number 10, Dragon's Milk by Susan Fletcher. I guess it's part of a the first in like a four book series, but I never read the other ones. The basic premise is about um, a girl who one of her relatives is very sick, and she learns that the cure would be dragon's milk. Um, and so she goes to the lair of the dragon, and she gets the milk. And um, but the the mother dragon ends up dying, and she ends up taking care of the three like dragonlets, little babies. Um, and then they go on some sort of dragon adventure. Um, this is one that I remember checking out from the school library multiple times. And like, I still have a sense memory of where it would be located in the school library because I checked it out so often. <laughs> um, and it's one of those ones that got a, v- most copies that you'll see are paperbacks. And my mom was able to track down a hardcover for me for Christmas, like several years later. Um, and so that's kind of like one of my, like, like my prize possessions for books from an emotional standpoint. Yeah. So yeah, I that one I don't have as much to talk about just because I haven't read it in a long time, but it made such a strong impression on me when I was younger that I felt like I I wanted to make sure that it gets known because I think I remember it being pretty solid and very few times have I been super wrong when I go back and reread something. And this one's substantial enough, like it's like 300 pages, give or take, that I bet there's more to it than just a, you know, that was good for a seven-year-old. Yeah. So.
1: So, <sighs> My number 10 is the opposite, where I know if I revisit it, I won't like it. Okay. But it has such a strong nostalgia pull for me, I had to put it on this list, and that is the Nancy Drew series by Carolyn Keene. That's why it's so low, but it meant so much to me. Okay. Through uh, third through fourth grade, I read a Nancy Drew all the time. I would just be all in for series when I was a kid mm-hmm. and there's so many that I just always picking up. I read them all out of order cuz it doesn't matter if you did. Even if you canonically read it in order, they screwed up and they're like right. this is the big series, the big book that introduces Ned Nickerson and I'm like he was at the Shadow Ranch. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know this dude. What happened here?
0: That's the one book that I've read is the one of the ones I, where I they mess up Ned it. Nickerson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I knew you I like and, he, and you hated it, but uh I I just remember being like this. Okay, at the time I was coming up, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of media that was just for girls, and those that were, it was kind of like frou frou, right? Um, like Lady Lovelylocks, like they weren't about girls bright. who did
0: things. It was just like <laughs>
1: it was just it was pretty, yeah, like pretty colors, yeah. Uh, learning to be nice and be you know make friendlies with people who maybe aren't friendly to you uh, and just being a good person and stuff. But Nancy actually did shit. She had like a cool little car. She'd drive, drive around with like her two friends, Bess and George. So it was like, and then each of them kind of represented like a different way of being a girl. They all weren't like the girl in the same way. So there's like Nancy super capable and such. And, uh, Bess, who was kind of more like the traditional femme, and then George is like tomboyish, and she's the one who's gonna be all like, oh, oh the clue is like at the bottom of this ravine, I'm gonna scramble down and get it and, like she's she's like on it, but Nancy's probably not gonna be too far behind her, while Bess is up there like, I'm just gonna make sure you guys don't break your necks, and if you do, I'll go get help <laughs> you know, so um, I was, I even had like a Nancy Drew club with like a couple of my friends, and we'd like play like Nancy Drew games at recess where we just like make up a story and, and uh it always turned into like supernatural for some reason so it'd be like Nancy drew vampires but uh i haven't picked one up and read one since i was maybe 12 because yeah. i read like not the original one but like those stupid ones that look super 80s that okay. they, they like continued on yeah um, yeah yeah
0: they're... i read a couple of the hardy boys ones that were like early 2000s where they're like we're gonna try and make them just a little bit edgier yeah and it's like they're going on like a crazy safari and they're in safari danger I'm like, this is dumb and i
1: think those ones kind of age him up because i think the hardy boys were originally supposed to be like 15 or something yeah. but now like you see him it's like oh i think joe's like 30 <laughs> <laughs> like what's going on here
0: i mean you bring a good point about rereading them you won't get the same thing but that doesn't mm-hmm. make them not valid like no if if you know if it does something for a an eight or nine year old that's just as important yes. it's just revisiting it in your 20s and 30s and whatever you're not going to feel the same thing and that's no just... some stuff should be left in the past and that's okay yeah all Do right you Want me to
1: start this one can we go back and forth so like with starting sure if you more? want or no i just talked a bunch go ahead you oh, okay me. we're so nice <laughs>
0: uh number nine is You Killed Wesley Payne by Sean Bodwin?
1: I'm liking the title. Tell me more.
0: Uh, it is... Uh, I actually read this one. This is probably one of my more recent reads. I probably read it in <laughs> late high school, maybe early college. But it's teen, and it's about a kid who thinks that he is a detective, and there has been a death, Wesley Payne, and he is solving the murder. But it takes place in this high school where everybody is in cliques that are to, like, to, like, themed gang level. So, like, he goes and visits one gang that's, like, all of the drama kids, but they're, like, a legit gang gang. Um, Please tell me they're, like, the
1: Sharks and the Jets. That's
0: what Drama Club dressed up as. But what? Like, like, from uh, West Side Story. Oh, um, I don't <laughs> recall that exactly, but it's very much that sort of thing where it's, it's, it's- Also, you... this sounds like, a uh, uh, warrior's. Yeah, it's it. <laughs> imagine if warriors got condensed into a high school. I love it. It's so fun. It's fun. absolutely ridiculous. And great I, title, great yeah. right
1: concept. I'm liking. This. Yeah,
0: I had a lot of fun with that one. Um, and so he's just going and he's like uh, talking to the different like the different clique gangs and stuff, and trying to solve this mystery. And every few chapters, he's like, "You killed Wesley Payne," and then like, there's some like twist of like why it wasn't them or yeah. something, and then he finally figures it out. But um, just the whole time, I was like, I've never read anything like this. So.
1: It's also reminding me of that, uh, what you're saying is reminding me of that movie Brick that had uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and it's like a, a Raymond Chandler style uh, like detective story but it takes place in high school.
0: I remember putting that in my Netflix queue years ago. <laughs> I don't think I got around to watching it.
1: It's I, I saw it once a long time ago and I remember liking it.
0: But I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt.
1: I like him too. He's a very good actor.
0: Um, I watched a video of him. Uh, he went on... I think he went on Geek and Sundry. I don't remember who was hosting with him. It wasn't Felicia Day or any of the big names. But he uh he brought his old magic card collection that he had when he <laughs> would, that he used to bring on set when he was filming as a kid. And so he would play that with it. he found his old collection and brought it on and they played a game of Magic and it, he was just like nerding out about the game oh, and that's I was great. like that's cool. I like when you get to see their like what are their passions outside yeah. of like when they're outside just trying acting. to Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, so You Killed Wesley Payne, very strange, a lot of fun, and then I read a few other books by that author, and each time he tries something that I haven't quite read before, it doesn't always work, but at least he's He's trying trying. something new. Yeah. And so I respect him a lot for that. And I think he's local. I think he's, like, Seattle or Portland, so relatively, yeah.
1: Okay. Number nine, uh, Catherine Called Birdie by Karen Cushman.
0: I've not heard of this one.
1: Um, it was really big in the uh, book order circuit <laughs> in uh, 1994, 95.
0: Like the little magazine uh, one that you got in school. Yeah, you got the plastic
1: a... book order, and then like you take it home. And you're like, "Mommy, I want these," and then she like mark it and then, like write like write the check. And then I put remember a doing envelope.
0: that and being like, "It's only like eighty five dollars," and yeah. she's like, "No, you can pick 3 I'm like,
1: "Right, shoot." <laughs> that was that was me too. This was one though that i didn't necessarily want to read but my mother saw it in the book order and was like i'm getting you this okay. you're gonna get this so it's a historical novel it takes place in uh middle ages the, the main character is like a 14 year old girl and this is directed for like younger readers so it's kind of more aspirational mm-hmm. rather than like this is your age group and mm-hmm. this is, you know so uh yeah, her name's catherine and she's called birdie by her f- close family and her whole issue is that, you know, she's getting old enough, her dad wants to marry her off. Okay. And she's like, not happening. So she sabotages every, uh, okay every suitor showing up. <laughs> like one time she completely covered herself in shit and like met, like the guy was all like, hey, what's up? And he's like, gross. And left. And then like the dad, the whole time at dinner is like, where's so-and-so? <laughs> and, uh... And she's like purposely like blacked out her teeth and then just kind of like sat there looking like 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 uh, simple or something. So the guy's like, I don't, I'm I'm not into this. <laughs> so it's like a whole lot of that and a lot of uh, coming of age stuff. Like the part that always is gonna stick with me is she's like super stoked to go to a hanging. She's like, yes, let's go to a hanging. That's gonna be so exciting. And uh, she's like in the audience having a good time. And she's all like dead men don't steal shit or like whatever her like they didn't say shit but like uh dead men don't you know don't steal and she's like what i thought was super clever and then they bring out the people to hang and it's like boys who are like her age and they're like crying and they're like please save us we don't and she and it just hits her like how scary it it becomes real
0: she'd been detached from it before yeah
1: so it's like real so she like runs home crying and that's how she like that it's not like, public executions are, like, horrible. Yeah. So, she's like, no, it's a life you shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's, like, stuff like that, and, uh, everyday life for, um, just kind of, like, normal people. Like, she isn't quite, like, a normal person. Like, her dad's, like, a minor. He was a knight. And it's okay. like, here's your little bit of land. So, they're not, like, major royals. Like, she's picking fleas off herself all the time. And some of her, it, it, this is told, like, in her diary. Okay. So, she's like, like... Yeah, we did spinning. We did this. I picked 12 fleas off me today. <laughs> it's just such a good book. I like I really like it. It's something that I have like revisited later and it is good and I really like Karen Cushman as a writer. Uh she had another book that took place in a similar time period, but it was actually about a peasant and it's uh called The Midwife's Apprentice, and I'd recommend that one as well. But Catherine called Birdie is definitely I'd say her masterpiece, like her best one. Okay yeah
0: nice how long is it
1: not terribly long
0: they were afraid to make long books for like younger readers back then
1: i think this is when that was starting to turn around a little bit
0: okay um number eight is lunch money by andrew clements andrew clements has written a bunch of like late elementary to middle school reader books
1: Frindle, yeah. Frindle,
0: whatever it was. Yeah. yeah, and they all, they um almost all of them are illustrated by Brian Selznick with a very similar image of somebody holding an item up towards you and you can see like half of their face. Like the
1: library card.
0: Um, Yeah. <laughs> and some of my favorite ones were the school story, the Janders boy, but Lunch Money was my favorite because it's about this kid who, he was just very entrepreneurial and then he decides to create his own um, like pocket comics and then sell them and get the lunch money. Um, and it's just, it's, I love it because it's something that I would do. I made a lot of comics when I was younger and I also really liked, um, trying these different like little projects and stuff. Like I remember that I would do like a sort of like trading post thing where I would have stuff and I would let people trade me like rubber bands or erasers or something for like something else. Um, we had this whole dedicated... System around paper clips in my, um, so we had like um, it was a public school, but there was one class for each grade that was a co-op where the parents could like come in, and so that program like you basically would stay with the same kids all through elementary school, so we became very tight knit because of that. Okay. Um, and so since it was always the same people, we did a lot of stuff that would like kind of proceed from year to year, and we had this whole system of using paper clips as currency, and then we had these little um like eraser-shaped, like, animals that would be our pets, and we would, uh, we would, like, cut up rubber bands into, like, tiny little chips, and those would be, like, the food for them, and you would make, you like, wrap tape around itself to make little pillows and things like that, and I just remember that kind of, like, you know enough to know how to do these things, and you don't know so much that you know that you're never gonna get anywhere with it. You were just, it was the fun of doing the thing, you know, um, and Lunch Money just really talks to that, of the you can make you can make and try whatever you want, and that's cool. Just go for it. Just do things. Um, and so I always have remembered that one specifically because of kind of how it connected to that feeling that I had and how well it captured it. So yeah, yeah, I like
1: that. Oh, ready for mine? Okay. Sure. So, uh, number eight, uh, Green Glass House by Kate Wilford. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so recent. Uh, yes, I read this as an adult, which I had to because it came out like fairly recently in the last maybe five years or so. I am still forever upset that we didn't, that I read it without Josh and then uh, I guess we still probably could make it an, an episode. I wouldn't mind rereading this. But um, concept is Green Glass House is this big old house that used to be a hideout for smugglers, this boy's parents, uh, purchase it and turn it into this big hotel. And, but they kind of keep it like the former glory of it while having like a little bit of modern updates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's, he mostly goes to like boarding school, but, uh, he comes home for the holidays. And, uh, so he's pretty stoked cause it's like, Oh, you know, winter and like Christmas at this place, at this place, at this old smuggler's house is always slow. So I'm just going to ha- hang out and have a really great, great time with my parents. No. All these people suddenly show up that night. And they're all these very weird characters. It feels very much like a game of Clue. And uh, so I was like, why are they all here? This is so weird. Uh, And he figures out that they're all looking... Because there's like this rumor about the smuggler has some treasure in that house that never was found. So they're all there to try and find this treasure. And uh, the little boy is like trying to figure out everybody's motivations and where they're coming from. And the cook's daughter is staying there as well. And she and inha- she, she encourages him to do, like, investigations and stuff. And he's like, I'm not brave enough to do that. She goes, well, we're not going to be you. What we're going to do is there's, like, this uh, game within the world that's similar to Dungeons & Dragons. So it's like, okay, here's this character that you're going to invent. And she, she they, they, they found, like, the rule book because the dad apparently played this game okay. when he was younger so he makes up a character for himself it's like okay you're gonna investigate as this character this character is brave you can do it so the whole book is like this investigation and all these weird characters and it's just so fun like i had so much fun reading it and i was just like this isn't like anything else i've ever read and so like every other chapter i'm like damn it josh should have read this (laughs) this is so this is so us this is so our podcast it's like Oh, it's so perfect. Like, I just love it. And um, also, this is how I found out about sensitivity readers, because I read about Kate Milford and, like, the main character is a Chinese boy adopted by white parents. Okay. So she had sensitivity readers read you know read it and like kind of give her like ideas of like what his feelings would be on the situation and what his like personal experiences would be so it felt i was like wow this feels like really true to life and like it doesn't feel super like phoned in that's because she did the work and got input and didn't get overly defensive with uh critiques and stuff right so it's beautiful it's a beautiful book i loved it everyone should read it (laughs) i'm such a fan
0: that's awesome and yeah, especially when it's like, first of all, if you're a writer, you have to get used to criticism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you need to apply every critique you ever hear, because sometimes people are just fussy. But, especially when you don't know about the thing, yeah. be very receptive to it. Exactly. And so that's really important, like, with sensitivity readers, is, is you're seeking out their help because you don't know that experience.
1: And you also need to recognize that, that sensitivity reader doesn't necessarily represent everybody in that group. Right. They're not, like, the emperor of black people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, the, the, I'm, I'm quoting South Park. We're like, Jesse Jackson is not the emperor of black people. And, like, he told my dad he was. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Because uh, sometimes having having that kind of backfires, like, a kind of backfire for written a Meyer for ghosts. She did ha- I think she did have, like, Latino people read it who weren't offended by it. But there were others that were. Yeah. So, uh, and then she... I think she handled that pretty gracefully. Yeah. And uh, Because
0: even when you're talking to people in the demographic you're still not serving everyone in the demographic so it's like and
1: also Latino that's like several countries yeah and several different yeah, exactly. cultures so, so it's like
0: you know there's a certain threshold where it's like at least she tried you know at least she tried if she messed up she acknowledges it she she's like I'll take that into consideration next time yeah. I think people have a tendency to get worked up and be like not only did you do it wrong but now you're forever wrong and it's like canceled well, you're canceled yeah it's like well hold on. Let's see if they actually learn from this. Yeah.
1: Some people don't. Yeah. Sarah doesn't. But other people do yeah.
0: learn. But it's like, you know, how many things, how many of us could go back 10 years and be like, I stand behind everything I said and did 10 years ago. No. I was always right. It's like no. none of us. No. So like uh-uh. give people the opportunity <laughs> to learn from those mistakes, yes. especially when it's like that was accidentally offensive is such a different league from, and then I raped this person. Right. You know, it's like yeah. that one's like. All right, we gotta do something about that. Yeah, the other yeah. one, it's like let's let's talk. Right. Um, I need to read the the Green Glass House though.
1: Yes, you do. And I need to read you killed, uh, Wesley Payne.
0: <laughs> Number seven, the Sea of Trolls by Nancy Farmer.
1: Oh, Interesting.
0: This one is again the first book in a series, but it stands alone pretty well. It takes place in I think it's eleventh century. Oh. And it's about a young uh, Nordic boy named Jack. Oh, really? Uh huh. <laughs> it's not
1: Jack with like DJ? No, <laughs> <laughs> that was not the word, the name I was expecting. I was expecting like fjord.
0: <laughs> so it's, I'm
1: sorry. I know people there aren't named fjord. Yeah. Maybe
0: you're Bjorn. Uh, so it's Jack and a young shield maiden named Thorgil, I believe. Um,
1: that's more what I was expecting. Right.
0: Exactly. And uh, they need to go on a venture. And it's, it's uh, that it is a seafaring adventure with a huge Viking influence, a lot of Norse mythology. The Sea of Trolls is they actually proceed into a part of the land where the trolls live. And there's this whole thing about like entering troll country and like they I think they get captured at some point. And they talk about it. this is a spoiler for an element of it, not the the core part of the story, but it does involve them going up to, uh, this well, and they, there, there's this thing that happens at the well, but it is, uh, it's the origins of the Jack and Jill story. Oh, okay. So, Jack. Jack and Thorgill, Jill, they go to this magic well, because I think the water has, like, restorative properties or something. And it's the the aftermath of that and so when i like got to the end i was like that sounded familiar and then the afterword is talking about like that yeah. i was like that's super cool and the yes. fact that you made that part of it without being like look how clever i am is just that's just part of the story i was yeah. like oh that's cool that is cool um and that was that was one of the first books that i read that had any sort of like retailing um, Uh, yeah, actually, that wasn't what I was going to say, but you were correct. Okay, Um, sorry.
1: I I will not try to guess what you're saying. Because I
0: didn't, I didn't read a whole lot of retelling stuff when I was younger. I didn't, um, I know, like, Peter and the Starcatchers came out, um, when I was in, like, middle school. I didn't read that. Um, but I read this, and so I thought that was really cool, but it's also one of the first books I read that takes place in the, you know, Norway, Sweden, Finland, (laughs) Denmark, that whole area. After that, I started developing a kind of a, a legitimate interest in those old stories and just the... I actually talk about it with another one of my uh, books on the mm-hmm. list, but the the chilly places. There's something about them, and like the atmosphere of that is very different because it's it creates this sense of isolation. It's like what do you do with that? And like the people that you're with help combat that and things. So, yeah, I like it. I like it. It's like part it. of a trilogy. I don't remember what happens in the other ones, but I have them all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, Nancy Farmer. So, uh, number seven, the Tiffany Aching series by Terry Pratchett. Yep. It takes place uh, within Discworld, but I don't really read it as part of, like, the Discworld canon. Like, I've been reading it in publishing order, like, Discworld. I'm almost done. And it just keeps making me sad that I'm almost done. Because I remember for years, I've been, I started reading these, the Discworld books when I was 18. Uh, those so I was playing, oh, I'm 34 now. <laughs> so I'm just now reaching the end. And it's making me sad, because for a long time there, I was like, oh shit, he's just going to keep writing books. Am I ever going to catch up? And unfortunately, yeah. I'm going to catch up. And it yeah. just kind of breaks my heart a little bit.
0: Wasn't it like cancer or something? like?
1: No, he had Alzheimer's. Oh, okay. So that's even worse. And then these kind of shit fuck reviewers online are like, yeah, his last books weren't that good. And, like, he was ill. Yeah. It's amazing he
0: wrote anything. Yeah. And that... I mean, that's, like, one of the worst punishments for somebody who is so, like, intellectually gifted. Yes.
1: He had plans to uh, to end his life if he hadn't died. Over... I'm starting to cry. That, that's how much, like, your brain turning on you, like, upset him. But he's one of my favorite authors. I loved him. He's a really good satirist. But uh, let's talk about the Tiffany Aching series. Uh, this is about a little girl uh, that can, yeah. T- uh, that um, if you're gonna read the uh Discworld books, I'm t- I've been doing publishing order, and some people told me I was crazy for doing that. Actually, she told me I was being ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, most people try to read them. Uh, they can be separated into like different subgroups because there's some characters he comes back and revisits. There's the City Watch; those ones are really good. There's the ones that are just about his personification of death, and those are very good my favorite is the witches and tiffany aching can kind of be lumped into the witch books but it's still pretty much its own thing i still consider it like a subcategory rather than being like no it's part of the witch books even though some of the witches in the uh witch books appear in tiffany so tiffany aching lives in the country it's uh called the chalk because like a lot of like a lot of chalk hills like when you dig in the ground you're like oh it's all chalk so you can't really grow anything there. It's more like a, a farming of like sheep and stuff like that. And uh, she shows early talents of being a witch. So she it's just uh, mostly being mentored by witches. And then her uh, in the first book, her brother is kidnapped by fairies. But I think they're it's called uh, the wee freemen and the little wee freemen are these little blue guys who I think they were, um, they're called Pixies, like pix, but they're spelled like P-I-C-T, like the, um, Picts that were like these, uh, Scottish warriors. He writes it out like in Scottish accent. <laughs> I'm like, you can! <laughs> and they call it, it's the wee hag! Because they call all witches hags, so they call Tiffany the wee hag. <laughs> and it's just so good, and every story is just amazing and so complex. There's one where she gets courted by the, uh, personification of, uh, winter, because she, uh, jumped in on this, like, winter mummers dance that she shouldn't have, and took the part of the, um, like, the summer, it's supposed to be, like, this dance is supposed to, like, oh, winter's almost over, uh, we're shifting into spring, this is what this dance represents, so someone like represents like the spring that's gonna be coming, and like the winter, and she jumps in and takes like the role of the spring, and then like winter becomes fixated on her, and winter just doesn't go away. I it's just stuff like that. It's just like so detailed and great, and the characters are amazing. And I can't speak highly enough about it. And everybody go read Tiffany Aching. It's such a good series. If you're not gonna read any other Terry Pratchett, this is like a go- This is a good one.
0: When you mentioned I ambitious for reading and publishing <laughs> is that just because he switches around the series
1: it's which he switches around the series it's, it's a lot of books and there's uh, quite a few standalones and also the first few books aren't as good as what comes later but that kind of makes sense because he's still shaping that world is still kinda... right yeah I think the books in the series I kind of like the least are the Rincewind books. And he's, like, this, like, fast wizard who really wants to be left alone, but he just keeps getting kind of lumped into everything. <laughs> so he's like, shit! <laughs> he's, he's pulled in. But the wizards are great. They have their own little, like, wizarding college.
0: That just reminded me of a couple of years ago, I decided that I wanted to read all of the, um, all of the Halo novels, like, based on the video games. Okay. In publishing That's order. That's probably ambitious. It's dumb. <laughs> um... I'll tell you that. Uh, But I'm like, I'm getting caught up. I'm to like 2015. And so I was like, all right, this is going fine. And then we got into a bunch of the Magic the Gathering novels. And I was like, I should try it with these. (laughs) Okay, so here's the problem. First of all, there's 70 of those. Oh, shoot. Second of all, if you look at the first column on this spreadsheet, I color coded based on like the sub series it is. And look at how often it switches between them. Yeah. In publishing order, and that, I'm like, I'm yeah. not sure that I should do it that way for this that's, one. <laughs> that's
1: that's like what Terry Pratchett does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like that might be that might kill me. <laughs> Number six, Car Trouble by uh, Jan Duprow.
1: Is this the person who wrote uh, City of Sparks? That
0: thing? city member, yeah. So city member, people Sorry. of Sparks. People of Sparks, okay. okay. <laughs> Prophet of Yonwood, Diamond of Durkholm, where it turns out that they're aliens.
1: Oh, spoiler! <laughs> I had no interest in reading them, it's
0: okay. I really enjoyed the first one and I think the second and third ones are fine, and then the fourth one I'm like, oof. <laughs> oof. <laughs> um, but, so, as far as I know, this is her only other published novel. Uh, It's called Car Trouble, and it's about a guy who... I guess this would have been written before like New Adult really became a thing? Okay. Because it gets shelved over with our stuff, um. But he has graduated and he uh he is going to be starting this uh job at like a big up and coming like tech company. Okay. Um. But it's he's in like Virginia or something, and it's in California.
1: Okay.
0: So he gets into his crappy car. He has five hundred bucks, and he has his <laughs> the what little he's going to bring with him to California, and he's like, I'm doing this, and he heads out, and like two hundred miles in, his car breaks down. Of course. And he's like. I'm, I'm independent now i can't call my parents i can't like i'm still gonna get there and so it's about him getting the rest of the way with uh hitchhiking public transit things like that and the weird people that he meets along the right. way at one point i think i think at one point he's uh there's like a limo driver who's like done for the night or something and so he's like i guess i'll just drive you you know as far yeah. as that i'm heading back and it's just, it's a very meandery sort of little story um
1: it sounds like
0: Mosquito Land to what you told me. It's you. Mosquito Land, but good. Okay. <laughs> when I read Mosquito Land, I was like, oh man, is this going to be like a new Car Trouble? I really liked Car Trouble. Mosquito Land just doesn't work. Um, but this one works. I actually ended up reading it out loud to my girlfriend. Yeah, it, um, I think it, I think a couple days in, uh, he learns that the company that he has been um, working with isn't a real company. It's this guy who's been like, I have this great idea and I'm gonna start it up, but he never actually like had the infrastructure in place, so like the job falls through. But he's already halfway across the country, and so he's like, do I do I go back or do I like finish this up? I don't have anything when I go over there, but I'm already halfway there. What do I do? And it was it was just a really good mix of just kind of the realistic day to day aspect of it with like quirky characters that aren't so quirky. It feels very twee. It's just like I know what you mean. Yeah. Again, it's like, I've read other things like it since, but when I read it, I had been, I picked it up because of the author, because at the time I was reading all exclusively stuff with like fantasy bends to it. And so I picked it up, I was like, this isn't fantasy. Oh, this is just guy going across the, but this is, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, if I hadn't read that, I don't know when I would have been more open to realistic fiction. Okay. Like it probably opened a door for you. Yeah, it definitely did. So.
1: Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna leave uh, realistic fiction behind and go with uh, Coraline <laughs> <and> Neil Gaiman <laughs> that he's said that children read it and go oh yeah good story I like that and adults are like that was terrifying <laughs> so it's just funny how two different groups can read a story and uh, take away completely different things from it and I think this is well enough known but I'll go ahead and say what it's about you've read it before. But uh, Coraline, uh, she finds a door that leads to a world that's mirror to her own, but has a creepy other mother, and everybody has button eyes. And it's super upsetting, <laughs> but it's so good. It just, he's he's very. I've read critiques of his work that weren't so much critiques as just people being bitches, but they say he ri- essentially writes the same story every time where Outsider discovers Secret World. And, yeah. But, lots of stories fit that format. It's a
0: very yeah. common trend. That'd be like being like, ah, uh, this guy just does retellings of the hero's journey.
1: Right. Free mm-hmm. everyone
0: does. But that's what a
1: story <laughs> is! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> so, I don't necessarily think that's a fair critique. Like, that's just, I don't know, you're putting out waters wet, you know, <laughs> by saying something like that. But, um, uh, I think that's all I kind of want to say about it. It's just, I like, like, modern, it, it kind of feels like this modern-day dark fairy tale. hmm And I'm into that. I'm here for that.
0: Yeah, um, you're not gonna understand this reference for another month, but we talked about a story that, um, that utilizes elements of the fairy tale storytelling without getting the core of it. Yeah. Neil Gaiman definitely Definitely understands. Yes.
1: Also, uh, he's inspired so many musicians. Like I used to have the album Where's Neil When You Need Him? Okay. Which is a line from a Tori Amos song because he and Tori Amos have been friends yeah. for years and years and years. Yeah. But uh it was an album based on uh musicians who read his work and like really enjoyed it and wanted to write a song based on it. And two of the songs uh are really, really awesome. I wish I could remember who wrote the what the choral line was. Coraline one uh there's like a couple of Coraline ones uh and one of them is uh it has this like creepy section where it's like we are many we are small we will be here when you fall you know just like what the mice say in the story and you're just like oh that's so good and uh then the other one was uh Rasputina who I actually love because they're just have you ever heard anything by them it's like people came from like the 19th century decided to write like rock songs okay and also they're probably dead (laughs) so but they pronounce Coraline a different way they say Coraline so it just sounds spooky with like their strings going Coraline these are the most hideous things I've ever seen and it's just like oh it's so good and like haunting but I just love that he inspires that in other people and Coraline's really good
0: yeah um also (laughs) movie's really good it isn't this it isn't quite the same as the book it adds a new character and that changes the dynamic a bit and things like that but it's very good not to
1: its detriment yeah yeah
0: yeah it's different but still very good so
1: which is kind of what you want the movie to be yeah you don't want to see a book on film some people do and i don't know why because that doesn't necessarily make a good film yeah
0: this is a thing that i was talking about with i brought it up about video games but it's basically whatever medium you're working in make that to the best of your abilities take advantage of whatever you're working with so when you're working with film and you have the addition of music and these visual things that you can convey multiple things at the same time because of that take advantage of that don't worry about being uh you know if you're adapting a book don't worry about getting the book exactly right because the book is trying to be the best book it can be you're trying to make the best movie movie that you can and i think that's one of those ones where it's like it wanted to be the best movie it can be that shares the heart of Coraline. It doesn't necessarily have to have every line and things right. like. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think we covered that pretty well.
0: Number five. Bone Chiller by Graham Macnamie. Oh, Bone um,
1: Chiller.
0: Bone Chiller. This is my Wendigo book. Oh, okay. This is the book that introduced me to the term Wendigo, and then I started reading about it, um, and not just skimming a Wikipedia article. Yeah. Um, We're like deliberately looking at a book in our stack. So I picked this one up. I think I got it at Elliott Bay.
1: Okay.
0: Elliott Bay Book Company is a really great independent bookstore in Seattle. Um, they've changed locations, but they always make sure that their building has its own feel and its own history to it. And so when you walk into it, you know you're in Elliott Bay. Basically, it's about, uh, it takes place in rural Canada during the dead of winter and creepy things start happening. People start dying and there's some sort of monster attacking and it's like pretty like, Clear setup. The execution of it is fairly standard. There's a group of like teenagers that are decide they're gonna solve it or whatever. But where it really excels is the atmosphere. The, the cover of it is like it's just dark and there's like a like a like a little bit of light and then like some snow and like that's what it feels like reading it the whole time. He executes that perfectly. I love that. And. I and I was like, this is really good. What else has he done? He's written like four or five other books that get like no press whatsoever, Mm -hmm. but they're all fairly strong. Um, Even his worst ones are like still readable. They're like Like Rainbow (laughs)
1: Royal. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I mean, like his worst ones are like a three out of five. Um, So not quite the highs of Rainbow Royale on average, but like (laughs) I've never regretted reading one of his books. Like he has a, um, he has another one that's about a a girl who she lives in like the projects and um, and her family is like mixed up with somebody that like wants money or something mm. and, and stuff like that. he, he tackles a different theme with each story. So okay. I like the fact that he is. So a he jo-
1: doesn't retread the same shit. Yeah.
0: Over. Yeah. And then he has one that's a, a ghost story like through and through, but with his own take on it. And so, um, so I really enjoy bone chiller. Yeah, it was another one of those ones where I'm like, I picked it up and I, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. They say, but I looked at it, I was like, if the book inside is this cover, I will love it.
1: Yeah, and it and was. And it was, and I was
0: God. like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> um, so, Bone Chiller. Bone Okay,
1: so, number five, The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. Okay. And uh, this was my pick, because this was the first book I read for school that I was like, wait, this is actually a good book. Like, a lot of times we've had to read stuff where I was just like, okay, this is clearly a book for school. You know, right. th- this was more accessible, even though it's still pretty dated because it's 1960s. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, groups of boys haven't changed that much. But uh, in the story, uh, if you haven't read it, well, we're going to cover everything.
0: I but, hadn't read it until like six months ago. <laughs>
1: but uh, we got uh, Pony Boy Curtis, that's his real name. Uh, <laughs> Pony Boy Curtis, he's orphaned, of course. And, uh, he's, uh, in this gang of greasers, and, uh, this takes place in, uh, I think Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the other warring social group is called the Socias, for social clubs. They're, what we would have called preps Preps. (laughs) when I was in school. (laughs) Skaters versus preps.
0: Um so if you're picturing a guy with like a polo
1: yes <laughs> <then> you're correct <laughs> with like a sweater over it yeah. he's, and he's wearing chinos like that's a sosh. and um they fought against each other and uh one night pony boy and his best friend johnny who'd recently been jumped pretty bad he still has scars from it and actually Essie hinton was 16 years old and she wrote this and she wrote it as a result uh, her friend was johnny Like, he had been jumped and attacked. And she's just like, this is bullshit. I'm gonna write about how these warring factions are... It turns out Essie Hinton's kind of a shitty person. But she was not at this time. (laughs) Well, she's just kind of a snob and not very friendly. So I'll just say that. She was mean to someone on Twitter who's all like, How does it feel to be, like, my hero for life? And I've loved your books? And she goes like, I don't even know you. Why would I feel anything? And I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? So... So she's kind of twatty, but the story was good. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, Johnny and Ponyboy are jumps, again because they they've been talking to like some Soch girls when they were at a drive-in. The, I didn't know you could just come in without a car and like sit. They have chairs. You can sit and like watch the the show. That's what they'd done. That's hmm. <laughs> weird. But um, anyway, so they're jumped by like the Soch guys, and Johnny kills one. I think he started like carrying a knife after what happened to him. So. Uh, and then the boys are on the run for the rest of the book. Lots of shit goes down, but that's basically uh how the story starts. And I just liked the well like the strong detail of character. Like there's so many different characters that you really felt like you knew like each of them. And Pony Boy had like such a rich inner life that he was just so like introspective considering he's like this greasy boy that like if I saw him in school I'd be like eh but it made me think like, oh, maybe, maybe boys are deep. It's like, this was written by a teenage girl, so they're probably not that deep. <laughs> maybe Josh can tell me if, if, I don't know, you read The Outsiders, if you thought that it seemed like the inner life of a teenage boy or was right. But some people seem to think that if you're writing the inner life of a teenage boy, he has to be whacking off every second. And he's not doing that in this book. But Don't argue with me for loving this. I loved this when I was 13. I have not read it since.
0: I was actually going to ask if you've read it since. um, Because you you have it so clear in your head. I didn't know if... I
1: read it so many times. And I saw the film, which did not live up to its potential. (laughs) But lot of good-looking boys in that movie. Oh, my God, Rob Lowe in that movie is so... Like, there's a scene where he gets out of the shower, and I can't believe how much they showed. And I remember our teacher being like, oh, my God, when Rob Lowe goes out of the shower, do you see his crease? Like I was going to ask, does it get yes, down to the crease? Yes, get down to the <laughs> crease. And he's kind of, like, hanging the towel there, and you're like, no. <laughs> Even though I didn't really want to see wieners that bad. But, I but just we're penis it. positive on we're this. We're penis positive, damn it.
0: <laughs> I read it. Uh... <laughs> As an adult. Well, one of the hard things for me, uh, and this has happened with a lot of like boy stories, is that I didn't have a particularly, I didn't have a big group of guys that I hung out with. I wasn't particularly masculine. I wasn't worried about that sort of thing. So just on that level, I can't connect with it. I can recognize it and I can try and appreciate it within the story, but I don't connect with it. Right. Like when I saw Stand By Me, I was like, none of that reflects my childhood. So while I can watch the movie, I'm not connecting the same way you didn't have like the boy click yeah we didn't have like a tree house where we were smoking and stuff like that and so like most people didn't right (laughs) i feel like like that's like a really idealized idealized
1: yeah idealized vision of childhood yeah yeah
0: so and then when i was reading it there were some things where i'm like you know i'm not really feeling this but then i was like you know what she was a teenager and I'm sure with a bit more practice, she wouldn't have done these things. And so it's like, yeah. it's like most of my critiques were either I wasn't connecting with it or she was just really young. And this yeah, is like, for a first story. That's, that's very good. Incredible. First you know? story. Yeah. You know? Um, and so it's like having to remember that like you have to, you have to kind of alter your expectations just a little bit because ultimately it's still a published novel, but you have yeah. to be like, okay, you know, she was like six or seven years younger than I am. When it finally got published, so even and then, it's just a it's message
1: like... of, like, everybody's everybody's a person where all people quit looking at it as groups, is what she was going for.
0: Yeah.
1: And she was trying to, like, humanize people. Yeah. That it's just like, oh, they're all in that, the socials, meh. Right. You know, it was like, oh, those gross greasers. It's like, no, they're... Each one of them each is... Each of them is a person. Yeah don't write people off just because they belong to a certain group so yeah i i liked i liked that i have not read it since but i read it so many times when i was that age that i still remember it really well it's like how i haven't seen napoleon dynamite in 15 years i still know that whole movie by heart <laughs> and i can quote the whole thing so it's just you, you hit it at a right time where your mind is just recording and then it's right just, and yeah. it's just there forever so Outsiders and Napoleon Dynamite quotes and lots of boy band lyrics are just in my brain forever.
0: <laughs> Did, have you seen the clip from Conan when he uh, decides that he's going to make his own boy band? No. Okay. So I tried to show it to Faye and she didn't think it was funny at all. <laughs> I think she part not of that have is boy because bands? she, so she's a year and a half younger than I am, which means she was growing up right as the big boy band phase was ending.
1: Okay. So yeah, I think, I think
0: that a lot of that she wouldn't yeah. have picked up on like, Mm-mm. cause growing up and like seeing them and like, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't crushing on any of them, but I was like, <laughs> they're so cool. I, went, and so I, I was, want
1: to be them. It was aspiration.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, i using
1: that word a lot in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> like
0: and then, and then when you get older and you realize for most of them, how incredibly constructed they were. Yeah. How corporate everything about it is. Yes. Um, so the Conan thing is just like, he was like, what's, what's your name? And then they like say his name. He's like, no, we're going to use this name. And like, it just. No, your name's make- going to be Jeff B. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, like we're, it, yeah, it's like, exactly. No, that's, that's one of them. It's like, it's like Jeffy B or something like that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like, you know, and we're going to smell that with a, you decide the group is going to be called dudes a Plenty. Dudes with a Z, plenty with an I. Um, oh, my God. you know, and it's yeah, like, it's yeah, so on yeah. the nose for how. Right. Um. And sync exactly which i was uh, that was my boy band but now that i'm older i have a lot of respect for backstreet boys just for still having a career and like taking some control of
1: it they were friends too they they were all genuinely liked each other they were
0: one of the only ones that they were a group before they had the thing all the other ones are like we want to construct this to make money go find people they were like we all have, we like to harmonize. We like the, like the old vocal artists. So yeah. we're coming to you and being like, this is what we want to do. And so I don't really listen to their stuff, but I respect them for having. They were mine. For, Backstreet yeah. Boys
1: were, were my favorite. So I,
0: I I respect them for being like, this is what we want to do. And this is more of who we are compared to the other ones.
1: So. Nick, Brian, Kevin, Howie D and AJ.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> Bad boy AJ.
1: I know, right? And he was like the smallest and scrawny. <laughs> I'm
0: glad he got sober.
1: Good for him. That's not that's not easy to do,
0: especially when you're in like the sort of career that's just like, you know what you should do? Lots of drugs, <laughs> you
1: know? Or uh, what sometimes happens to them? Like so much of their stuff is physical. So all that dancing, it's like, oh, I'm sore all the time. Here's some opioids to take away the pain. And it's like, right. oh, I'm just gonna take this forever. Woo, this is fun. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Time for you.
0: Number four, and this is my one, I can't even just pick one book, The Gone Series by Michael Grant. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. This is, it doesn't necessarily hit me as emotionally deep as some of the other ones. Um, The core conceit is coastal town in Southern California. All of a sudden, uh, everyone over 16 disappears. A bubble forms around the town. Some of the kids start developing superpowers. That's like, that's the start of it. And each book is like, 500 pages so it's like a pretty substantial six book series but it is just for being just a survival action sci-fi horror just just adventure fest it's so fun like it doesn't it doesn't make me like tear up like some of the other ones do but holy crap the whole time i'm just like this is so cool every (laughs) element of this is so cool (laughs) because the powers are unique there's one kid who um He He can make the perfect um, grilled cheese. (laughs) No. You're not too far off from something else, though. (laughs) Um, Well, one of the superpowers is, like, he, uh, gravity affects him based on his emotions. Okay. So when people are, uh, like, he got bullied a lot. And so he actually starts sinking into the ground. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so he has to, (laughs) he has to think himself out of the mindset that they've put him in in order to get back up.
1: I'm also picturing, uh, Rudolph when the girl kisses him and goes, She thinks I'm cute! <laughs> <to
0: there. laughs> um, so it's that. It's got, it's got lots of, like, you know, plot twists with the characters and stuff like that, but it all, it all feels like it was thought about. Uh-huh. And it also deals a lot with, there's, like, a, a Latino kid who has to deal with, like, some latent racism with some of the people he's forced to work with. Um, there are... What you said about the grilled cheese, there's a kid who is like, How are we going to make this still feel a little bit like living? So he goes in and he gets the McDonald's started again. (laughs) And he creates his own economy based on the McDonald's. And he's like, As long as we have them, I'm going to keep making McDonald's food because at least it'll start, it'll feel like we're still, like, it's still a normal life, at least some of the time. So yeah, it's just, it's my one where it's like, you know this doesn't have the same emotional highs but holy crap is this fun and i just want to i just want to keep i yeah it's just it's really cool and it's it's i remember it as being good as far as uh having more diversity with the there are female villains there are you know there are black latino like there it it's not just all white like, kids. Even though the covers make it look like it's all pretty white kids. That's what sells. In the book, it, yeah. it is not. Um, yeah. And so that's nice.
1: I, that's such a trope that I've seen before, though, is through whatever reasoning, all the adults are gone and it's like kid teenage world. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like probably most famously was Children of the Corn, where they didn't disappear. Like the kids just straight up murdered everybody.
0: Or Lord and, of the Flies uh right because there are like kids that are surviving that feel is
1: wish fulfillmenty but it is like a main ch- but it's not like that all the adults disappeared it's just they crashed on an island but uh, oh I'm you're talking more from like the- okay i'm talking more like deliberate removal of adults and uh there's also this like australian series called uh it's, it was a television series called the tribe where it was all just, like, these teenagers in this post-apocalyptic world. And, oh, the best horrible movie. I recommend it to everybody. I saw it on TBS in, like, the early 2000s, late 90s at, like, 3 a.m. because it's such a piece of shit. But it's called Prayer of the Roller Boys starring Corey Haim. And I think the whole conceit is, like, most of the adults, it's mostly just a younger population because at some point, like ten years prior to the events of the film, the freeway collapsed. This was in California, the, so you know there's lots of roadway. Mm-hmm. It just all collapsed, and then like everybody's parents who'd been going to like work or whatever, and uh, anybody who knows like Los Angeles and stuff, it's such a driving culture. Oh yeah. So like everybody was on that road when it collapsed. So that's like a whole generation just fucking dead. So uh, Corey Haim, he has, he's uh, he has his grandpa. So because I mean I think we have like the elderly and like children and like people who are in their 20s now who were, like, kids when, like, the collapse happened. And it's this gross apocalyptic world where there's, like, this drug that's, like, really nasty that the Roller Boys sell. And it's these guys who look ultra late 80s, early 90s with long trench coats on rollerblades who sell the drugs. What is this (laughs) called? Prayer of the Roller Boys.
0: Of the Roller. Oh, there it is.
1: Yeah. Corey Haim. It, it's such a TBS at 3 a.m. during that time period, because that's where you'd find all the
0: weird shit. Corey Hayman, Patricia Arquette.
1: Yep, Patricia Arquette, one of her first roles. Wow. Yeah. Came off the high of of um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, I think she was in. 5.6 on IMDb! <laughs> yeah, it's not a good movie, <laughs> but it's just the level of cheese that you would want.
0: That's fun. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> But when
1: you were telling me that that future with, like, no adults, I'm like, oh my god, this is making me think of some stuff. But that just seemed to be, like, kind of a common fantasy for most people I knew. Okay, so that's your (laughs) discussion I'm not that I completely blindsided you. That's fine. You
0: You kept the spirit of it alive. (laughs) (laughs) Prayer of the Roller Boys.
1: Oh, it turns out the drug makes everybody um, impotent. Or not impotent, but uh, sterilizes everybody. Okay. So there won't be another generation. Okay. And I don't really under- I don't really remember the motivation for that because I did see this again at three a.m. several years ago when I was like thirteen. <laughs> so, uh, and it did not get recorded in my brain like the Outsiders did. Uh, okay. So we're gonna move on to number four, which is Matilda by Roald Dahl.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh Okay. Who doesn't know Matilda? But, uh, Matilda is this little girl who is the most brilliant, bright little thing who just teaches herself to read when she's, like, two or three. She just walks her butt down to the library and, like, goes in there and just pulls down a book and reads all day because her mom always goes to bingo and her dad has this, like, shady operation where he sells used cars that are just of garbage. And, uh, and the film's good. You should see the film. Yeah, I, I'm just,
0: you were <laughs> just picturing the film and how he's, like, under the car and, like, rolling it back so it looks like it has less <laughs> miles than it does. Yeah, and. yeah,
1: yeah. And then finally she starts school, but she's, you know, put in kindergarten and stuff, even though she's brilliant, and the teacher's like, can we bump her up some grades, because she's so great. And, like, the principal, uh, the Trunchbull, (laughs) who is her, like, scary aunt, uh, the the teacher's scary aunt, uh, is just like, no, kindergarten for kindergartners, baaah! And, uh... So with all her wasted brain potential, her brain's like, gotta do something. So she gets tele- telekinesis. She gets telekinetic powers that she then uses to punish people who are bad to her. Which sounds like Carrie, but she doesn't murder anyone. Right. She- <laughs> it's well proportioned, considering this is a Roald doll book. And he usually likes to punish people for pretty minor... Like, read uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Those kids are punished for being children, (laughs) essentially. (laughs) But the people who get punished in the book are pretty bad. And Matilda's just so... Like, my favorite kind of little girl was just this earnest little girl. I just love earnest little girls. They're just my favorite creatures in the whole world. And they just stand there and just like, I really like this thing. And they just unabashedly love things. And Matilda unabashedly loves things. And there's, like, sections in the story where she's just talking to her teacher, Miss Honey, about a thing she loves. And it just says her eyes are lighting up and her face is flushed. And Miss Honey just kind of just sits there looking at her like, oh, she just loves things so much. Yeah. And she's just not being nurtured at home. and yeah, and it's a very much also a story of like found family because Matilda and Miss Honey become a family at the end rather than her crummy family. And I really like found family stories. I mean, my family I, I enjoy, like I like them. I don't have a problem with them, but I know not everybody has that experience. So I think having found family stories you know validates how you feel. About your family, it's like, well, you know, you know, like, there's so many the so many stories where like the message is like, well, you didn't choose them, but you have to love them because they're there. But uh, found family stories, and we're like, you don't have to. Yeah. No, you don't. You can find the people who you connect with, and you become a family that way. So it gives hope, I guess, to children who don't have like the doting parents who just think you're wonderful yeah. Yeah. and take really good care of you. Yeah,
0: and like. I also love the found family thing and my my parents are great but like I mean a lot of my favorite stories involved, that like I mean y- you know Toy Story the they're, they're yeah. a bunch of little misfit toys they're just that are all thrown
1: together based on this kid or the parents buying them. Yeah. So yeah. yeah
0: and then you you know you watch the third one, they're about to go into an incinerator and you just start bawling cuz you're like Oh my god
1: <laughs> what killed me in that scene is just like it all just kind of hits them all gradually, but Woody's the one who's still kind of struggling, and like Buzz kind of reaches for him, and he's, like, he's like no, and so they all just hold hands, and they're like, oh my god, yeah, it's up thinking it's about it. it's
0: not the it's not the they're going to die, it's that they're accepting it, At and least they're just we're going like going
1: out together, yeah,
0: and that's yeah. that's the hard oh my part.
1: God, it's such a good movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Toy Story franchise is one of the most perfect film experiences I've ever yeah. watched. It is. Even the fourth film is... I haven't seen it. It's just as incredible. Like,
1: we didn't necessarily <laughs> need it, but it's still good?
0: Yeah. It, do, it does not in any way the invalidate okay. the third's ending as the, like, the Andy saga. Yeah. Um, and the, the holy crap, it's... Oh my
1: god, I'm just tearing up thinking, like, when he's like, like goodbye, partner. I was yeah. like, oh my god, it's Woody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Roald Dahl, I remember reading a bunch of his, and my dad oh, read a bunch too. to me. Um, I think his memoirs were some of the first nonfiction books I read. Um, boy and going solo.
1: Okay, yeah. So. I mostly, I, I stuck to the fiction. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked James and the Giant Peach. Didn't quite glom to it the way I did to Matilda. This was kind of a, t- a toss-up between Matilda or the, or the Witches. Because those are the two that I think are his strongest, like, best stories. Just for, like, how iconic they are. That mm-hmm. you just, like, picture it and he was like, oh. And plus there's, like, a really good film that was made. He hated it. Because they gave it more of, like, a up Hollywood ending. And he was like, this is just a bunch of trash. And I was just like, you grumpy Englishman. You guys write these, like, fantasy stuff and then bitch about things being twee. And it's just like, oh, fuck you guys. You're so irritating. <laughs> like, how they... I've seen English people complain about the Disney adaptation of Winnie the Pooh. They're like, oh, they made it all twee and cute. I'm like,
0: he's a talking teddy bear.
1: (laughs) You guys, look at your fucking source material. What the fuck is your problem?
0: Or like how Alan Moore hates everything even though he created it. (laughs) Like he'll be like, that's on him.
1: I'm tired of, uh, I told you this, I'm tired of Alan Moore is like all his female characters' motivations or anything that happens to him is they're raped. Yeah. I don't want to read that story. That story sucks. Yeah. I, like, I I'd like to avoid shit that has rape in it because I find it upsetting. And before <laughs> anyone gets upset, I don't want men getting raped either. But I especially have an affinity for w- happening to women because- It's almost it's, like you're a woman. <laughs> I, that, and that's always the one you see. And right. That always seems to be like what makes a film good. Right like whatever horrible things happen to a woman, that's why I get pissed off about these mo- movies that come out like um, this remake of Charlie's Angels or the remake of of Ghostbusters that has like a whole female cast and it tells a woman's story where bad shit doesn't happen to them like that they get to be the heroes they're having right. a good, it's like women are having fun on the screen, which men do all the time like watch every single well don't but watch every single Adam Sandler film where he <laughs> yeah, and his don't. friends get to have fun. Let us have that bullshit, too. It doesn't all need to be fucking steel magnolias where we all have to stand around crying.
0: You can have... I can't
1: stand that shit.
0: You can have (laughs) bridesmaids and...
1: You can have bridesmaids (laughs) where it's, like, mostly a friend drama when, um... You can have, like, the fun action. Like, oh my god, I love the spy who dumped me. It was dumb, but it was fun dumb.
0: I never saw... (laughs) I or I guess I haven't seen yet Ocean's 8, but it has a lot of people that, that I like it. So. That
1: is fun. It's a heist movie with all the women, movie. and it's heist, fun.
0: It's a very small group of films because it's mostly just ocean films, but heist ensemble films are so delightful. They're
1: fun. <laughs> you go in for fun. You don't go like, oh, well, actually, that's character development. I'm like, no, we're not here for that. We're here for like seeing like, oh, what sneaky stuff are they going to come up with? Like um, Sandra Bullock, goes into a store and she has, like, it's like this upscale, like, makeup place. And she comes in and she just starts putting shit in the bag and then walks up and is like, I want to do a return. And she just acts like this entitled Karen. And is like, I don't have my receipt. What are you talking about? Well, then I'm just going to take this back then. And then walks out with all this free makeup that she tried to claim as a return that they went and let her do the return.
0: <laughs> That's so smart.
1: I know. I, I was like, I'm already in love with this movie. And it happens in the first few minutes to kind of establish
0: Who, who she, she is, is yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. So, uh, Matilda.
0: <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> and also another story about a female protagonist, which we didn't see a whole lot of all the time. And it isn't about her, well, it is about her emotional life, but it's also just really cool.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the, I, I mean, cause you were talking about like, you know, learn to be kind and all of that. And that's
1: good. People should learn Those to be kind. Those are good messages. But yes. it's,
0: it's also like that almost teaches girls to be passive. You almost. Know? It does. <laughs> I, I wanted I wanted to make sure that I, loved, I was I, I love Teenage
1: so. Mutant Ninja Turtles and the only female character in that is really, the reporter was the reporter who reports on the guys getting to do stuff and she hasn't really get to do stuff right I feel like that was just a result of like little girls are like I really like this franchise but you threw in one fucking girl and she has a bow in her hair and she sort of sucks and that that's supposed to represent me right and it was kind of insulting right I think the only token girl who didn't suck the big one. But I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more. So, you know? You don't have to correct me, but the one I'm remembering is Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, where the I girl Gadget, that. Get, yeah, yeah, she was so smart and like built stuff, and she was so cool, and she had pretty long hair. You know? Again, yeah, she has to have the pretty long hair because if you're gonna sell toys, that's gonna do it. But I liked her. She's a good character, and that's a good show, and uh, really good theme song. Theme songs were so good. But that's like a lost art now they just take like pre-existing songs now yeah and it's just like no like i just want to picture a couple of guys in their shirt sleeves like yeah in a, in a room like all right we're gonna, pass, yeah. we're gonna hash this out there's no case too big no case too small yeah
0: you and i don't think that's control. even like a nostalgia thing because even like shows that i never watched i'll be like that's a really good theme song because they constructed it as a song yeah you know and yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of like either just using a pre-existing song or like, especially with cartoons, it's like, you don't need to do a whole, you're so squeezed for time already that it's like, just get into it. Just
1: at work. We were just talking about at school, we were just talking about a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and like how good that theme song is. And just, it's so like kind of, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. That's a very staccato like delivery yeah. of it. But it also tells you everything you need to know about that show. We like we establish that they are turtles who are ninjas and stuff, and then we break down who each of them are, right. <laughs> what they bring to the group, and then this is the villain they think, and it's like that it has it covers everything.
0: Craig of the Creek is a pretty new cartoon that has a really good theme song. I get it stuck in my head a lot. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I, I like the Adventure Time theme, but it doesn't really tell you
0: much. No, it's just the ukulele. Adventure Time, come yeah. on, grab your friends. We're going to <laughs> very distant lands. We'll take the dog and fin the human. The fun that never ends. Adventure Time. I know that was a little bit Kermody, but that's the only way that I can get into that range.
1: That's about how it sounded. It does sound Kermody. Okay, you ready to move on to number three? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Number three. The Black Book of Secrets by F.E. Higgins. Higgins? Yes. I don't know, I just said that. (laughs) So she wrote wrote these four books that are collectively called The Tales from the Sinister City. And the first one is The Black Book of Secrets, and it's about this uh, small town in the mountains, and one day a guy comes and he opens up a pawn shop. He has a bunch of, like, weird, obscure objects in there, and it's like a, it's like Victorian era style okay. it's not it's not our world but it's obviously victorian era okay. and he uh so he has this pawn shop and he lets people come in and sell their stuff for for money or whatever uh but he also uh he can tell when somebody has something that they want to get off their chest and he will ask them to come in after his regular hours and they come in and they tell him his secrets and he writes it down and then he gives them money and he wow. doesn't, he doesn't do anything with the secrets. He doesn't, he, he's not it's like... It's not
1: a blackmail. It's not
0: a blackmail thing. He just collects them, writes them down and gives you the money. And then this, this local boy uh, ends up being his apprentice. And during this, they uncovered the, there's some uh, corruption going on with like the mayor or something like that. But the big thing of it is who is this guy that came to town and has all this money that you can just hand out for writing down secrets? Yeah. What does he do with them? Yeah. And then eventually he was like, well, it's, I think my job's done here. I'm going to pack up and leave. And it's like, well, where do you go next? And what, and then he like, he has this big book of the secrets. And he's like, what's that? And he's, and then and towards the end, it's like, let me show you what this is. And like the reveal is like really cool. And then the other three books, when I saw that she had written other ones, I was like, cool, a sequel. And I look at the back and I'm like, and it says a paraquel. And I'm like, what? And then she says that the the opening. She's like, this is not a sequel to this book. It takes place at the same time okay. in a different place. Okay. But you might start to notice that there's a little bit of overlap. And then the third book is a polyquel because it's kind of like
1: the Cloverfield movies.
0: Yeah, and then the third one's a polyquel, so it's a sequel to both of them. Okay. Um. And each one just deals with this weird of scare. Like the second one is about a a stage magician who is also an actual magician. Uh, and there's like a fortune teller, and they can like bring skeletons back to life to like tell the. But it's like uh, each one is so unique and strange, but they all add up to this really interesting world. And it's also it was the first book that I read that was published by uh, Feywell and Friends. Who have published the Cinder series and some other ones. Okay. And it was the first time where I read a book and I was like, I'm interested in what they publish. I paid attention to that because they were kind of up and coming. Okay. But the the book was the Black Book of Secrets, the physical book, is basically a black cover, just as a picture of the kid like with his hand, like, like shushing you, and then the pages have black all all on the edges. Yeah. The second book is it's the the colors are all kind of like a muted brown, so the text is actually a brown and not a black. Oh. They just made these subtle like Choices that really affected how you read it. And I was like, they care about the whole presentation of reading, not just the story. And so I thought that was really cool.
1: That is cool. Um,
0: I think she has a different series that she's working on now, but it's, I believe she's British and it's mostly being published there. I don't know if she has an American uh, deal yet, um, but I would be interested in tracking those down someday because the first four books that she's read or written, they're all really cool and different. That does sound cool.
1: Okay. You surrender the floor to me. All right, here we go. Number three, uh, Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson. It's another one that I read as a child. I haven't read since. And mostly, uh, the teacher read it to us. And I gotta say, we were in like fifth grade. And most of the time when teachers have selected stuff to read to you, it's been stuff that sucks the fat one. Like, it's been (laughs) so boring. I remember suffering through the sign of the beaver. Oh, what a piece of garbage. Is oh, that, my uh, God. Is that my Spear? spear. Okay. Uh-huh. Like, you wouldn't even know that she'd written The Witch of Blackbird Pond. It was actually a good book. Right. But, oh, my God. It's like so many dogs. And you're just like, oh, God, why do you have to read this to us? <laughs> this is such shit. Especially since I just... I've, I've told Josh this, but I really hate being read to. I just hate it. I'd rather just read it myself. And when someone starts reading to me, I just... I immediately, my brains are like, oh, no, 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 Does like, that I apply can't to audiobooks too? Um, no, I'm kind of, I'm, 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 it took a while, but I think I'm at the point where, I think it's because I listened to so many podcasts that now I'm okay. But mostly it's because it's like a really good reader is reading the story like skillfully and like is, it's more like a performance rather than I'm reading a book to you. And like my ex would always read to me for for no, I would never ask for this. He'd just pick up a Harry Potter book and then open it to a part and just start reading. And I'm like, why is this happening? I, I really want this to stop. <laughs> but like, he didn't really do much reading, so I kind of didn't want to be you know that negative about it. But I really hated it happening. But anyway, not the so with Bridge to Terabithia. So she's actually reading something good. And uh, my teacher was Australian. So she's reading it with her Australian accent. So I just thought this took place in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it did. <laughs> I don't think it did. But basically, it's the story of uh, a girl who moves to this town. It's told through the boy's perspective, but she's very like androgynous- Her name's Leslie. She, uh, just kind of thinks outside the box because she's got two, like, hippie-type parents who just raised her that way. Just, to be like, sit down with a kid and go, well, what do you think? And she's, like, encouraged to share her thoughts where he has, where the boy has a more traditional upbringing, but he does have a level of creativity. He likes drawing and draws little cartoons and, like, his sister loves his drawings and he has a good relationship with her, but they become good friends. And, uh, I'm gonna and spoiler it, but the girl dies and it's pretty awful. And uh, it was kind of like the first time that's really happened in like a book a teacher decided to read to you. So I'm just like, you mean this isn't a story where the dog dies? Like the freaking kid died? So it was just like, whoa! And I'll never forget how uh, the boy finds out like he comes home and like his mom's freaking out because the girl, they have this imaginary place where they hang out called Terabithia. And I think. They messed up because, uh, like, the place they named it from is from Narnia. It is Terabinthia. But I think they just thought Terabinthia sounds better, and it does. But <laughs> so, like, the girl, they had to swing across, like, uh, well, the rope, like, across water to get there. The boy had, like, gone somewhere else I think he went to an art museum with his teacher and didn't tell anybody because this is back in the days where you didn't have to do that <laughs> like let your parents know where you're going she's swinging across and like the rope snaps and she drowns and they find her body and they're like well where's jess she he's usually with her Did something happened to him are we gonna find his body later and then he comes home and his mom's still kind of freaking out about I think she yells at him like where have you been and whatever and he's like why are why do you suddenly care? <laughs> like, whole book, you gave no shits about what's going on with me. Why do you care? And one of his sisters tells him that Leslie died, but she doesn't say it in a nice way. And I always think it in my teacher's Australian accent. goes, your girlfriend's dead. Is <laughs> how so I, I hear it in my head from Mrs. Ward reading it that way. But it just, it just struck me. It's like, it's such a good book. And then I, then read other books by Katherine Patterson, and they never quite reached this level. She wrote, like, complex characters who weren't just like, I'm a good person. Look at me trying to be good. I'm just your average kid. Like, The Great Gilly Hopkins is about a girl who's in um, foster care. And her book Liddy is about a girl in the, uh, like, turn of the century, early 1900s, who's working in a factory. So she isn't afraid to try different things. And I really liked Brid- Bridge to Terabithia. I know there's like this film that came out. The I remember seeing the commercials and going, no, because uh. I just picture it my head has how I want. And I don't
0: care about Josh Hutcherson. Bridge to Terabithia is one of those books that I honestly don't know if I've read it or not. I know the whole story, right. but I don't know if I've read it or not. Yeah. I know that I haven't seen the movie because I knew a little bit about the book and I saw the like giant or whatever and I'm like, I don't want to actually see the fantasy. Right. That's lame. Like, like the whole thing is that like it's just them being creative yeah. and like in their heads and like that's okay. Yeah. I don't want it validating it invalidated it for it me. It kind of just <laughs> assumes you're dumb. Right. Like doing that.
1: But <laughs> just why it like sat wrong with me seeing the commercials, I'm like, no, <laughs> This is actually a hyper-realistic no. story! <laughs> no! Yeah. It, it's, it's a very realistic story, and it's just so good, and I think you cheapen it by putting all these stupid CGI things in it. Yeah. But, yeah, so Bridge to Terabithia. Boom. Uh,
0: number two, and this is going to be probably my most basic selection, Walk Two Moons by Sharon Creech.
1: Now, I've seen this before, and I don't know anything about it, so tell me more.
0: Uh, it is about a girl. She lives with her grandparents. Grandparents. Um, she's got a dead mama. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's got a dead hippie mama, and they're driving to. Why are they driving? I don't remember why they're driving, but along the way, she wants to. She wants to visit where her mom died. She died in a bus crash. Oh
1: no!
0: And so the story is basically. Another road trip story. I apparently really like those.
1: Yeah, you like those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For someone who doesn't drive, I really like road trip stories. Maybe that's
1: why you don't like driving.
0: (laughs) And so it's about her and, again, the people they meet along the way. But the big thing is that, there are two big things. One, the walk two moons thing comes from she starts receiving these mysterious messages um, that are just written like fortune cookies. And one of them is, don't, never judge a man until you've walked two moons in his moccasins. Yeah. And so she starts getting these little, like, tidbits and she's like who's writing these to me (laughs) um but the other thing is that the whole time if i recall correctly she's basically acting like her mom isn't dead she's trying to visit her mom and when she finally gets there and gets herself to the place where the the bus like fell into a ravine and they couldn't get it out so the bus is just still down there and so she finally gets to this place where she's overlooking and she's the she sees the bus and then it becomes real for her and it's just devastating yeah and I remember reading it in elementary school, and then I've read it every, like, three or four years since, and each time I'm like, yeah, that still hits. Um, it slaps. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just, like, these goofy little moments every part. like, they visit a... I don't know how well this holds up in terms of, like, representation, but at one point they visit, like, a Native American tribe, and they, like, pass a peace pipe around, but no. I think, I think... I think they're playing it up for tourists. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's, that's the case. Is that they're being like, that's what we do, right? <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, we yeah, smoke yeah. Our I think that's what they're doing with it. Okay. Because um, I remember reading a book in like seventh grade that had a negative portrayal of Native Americans and being like, oof. So I think I would have recognized it going back and rereading.
1: Yeah.
0: Walk Two Moons. Okay. And it's a new it's a Newbery Medal winner that I actually feel like deserves it. Okay. Um, it's not it's <laughs> not dope. historical fiction. It's not about a horse, and like <laughs> I actually cared. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's my that's my number two.
1: Okay. Well, my number two is again a series. It's the Anne of Green Gables series by Ellen Montgomery. Uh, I'm just gonna say like my top three is more like emotionally based that mm-hmm. go ahead and say what you want it was like negative about oh, them yeah. or whatever and I'm gonna be like I don't care love it love it love it yeah but uh Anna Green Gables if anyone doesn't know <laughs> even though it's been adapted so many times apparently but uh and it takes place in Canada which uh, took a while for me to grasp when I read it as a kid because I was just like where are that where are these places I've never heard of any of these places but they're speaking English and they don't seem super Englishy <laughs> Like what's going right, cause, on here? because
0: probably if you're if you're like me, your only options would have been America or Britain.
1: Yeah, it's like so. I was like, what? <laughs> so so Canada's always just felt like this like slightly mirror land of here, where you're just like, what? Especially when you don't realize you're watching their television, and you and everyone's like, what the hell's this show? I never heard of this show. And you see like a trailer for something, and you're like, and it's like CBC in the corner, and you're like. That's why I've never heard of Flashpoint. <laughs> I was just like, oh, get another cop show, and it's one I've never heard of. But anyway, so uh, Anne is a orphan, and uh, she goes to live with the Cuth- Cuthberts. Actually, the guy goes to pick. Pay- <sighs> so the Cuthberts are like these older brother and sister who still live together. The woman never married. Her name is Marilla. She's super awesome. Are we pressed for time? No. The- so they're this like older. They're like this aging couple, not couple. They're aging siblings that live together. Um, Rilla never married, neither did Matthew, and uh, they were like, well, we need help on this farm, on this, like, this land we have, so let's get a boy orphan. And they go to, they, they, like, order one, and then uh, Matthew goes to collect the child from the train station. It's a little girl sitting there. And he's, like, the shyest, like, just this, he is just such a shining star of a person. He's, like, quiet. He's so kind and wonderful. I love him dearly, like, uh, as a character. He he dies in the first book, so sorry. But, like, he's just so lovely. I love him as a character, and I'm glad he met Anne first. So he's, you know, he's kind of awkward, like, I don't know what to do. And she's like you've come to collect me, I'm ever so excited! And she just talks all flowery, and she's, like, so imaginative, and she's so overwrought, and I'm like, this girl's so nuts! But just, she's just so the opposite of him, and he's just kind of in awe of, like, her joy and, like, imagination, and she, he's completely won over by her, basically, And the get-home, and Marilla's like, what the fuck? We wanted a boy! And, like, she's like, well, who are you and what's going on? And she's like, so, Mrs. So-and-so said you needed an orphan, so they sent me and she's like so I'm not wanted and like burst into tears and like Marilla is like as I get older I realize I'm her she's like <laughs> kind of harsh but like underneath she kind of is like this kid's kind of cool and I'm not that big of an asshole but I'm going <laughs> to talk big about being an asshole but she's like okay well settle down walk, you know quit crying we'll give you dinner we'll, we'll uh, go see Mrs. So-and-so and figure out what to do about this and see about sending her back. And Matthew's just like... She can tell from his quiet way that he really loves this... He's already loves her and like wants her to stay. And she's just like... Fuck, fuck, fine. Fine, she can stay. <laughs> <laughs> and so the rest of the story... Like, the rest of the books is that she ends up... Oh, she'd been orphaned since she was a baby. Like, her parents both died when she was a baby. So she never got to know them. She knows their names, at least... And, and where they lived, and that's kind of it. But she just becomes, like, this, like, fixture on Prince Edward Island in their town of Avonlea, which just sounds like a, such a beautiful, amazing place, which I think if you go there in real life, it's just all touristy stuff. But every place claims to be the Anne House. But I would eat that shit up with a spoon if I ever went. I wouldn't be all like, well, this is garbage. Look at how... I'd just be like, I'm charmed. Look, it's Avonlea. <laughs> and be in tears. Uh, in, this, in the series, we meet her when she's, like, 11. And we uh, follow her all the way up until she has grown children who are going to go fight in the First World War. So we, we just get to grow up with the protagonist, which is lovely. <sighs> and she's and she kind of, like, mellows out with her, like, dramatized bullshit that she does. But she still has this underlying, like, it's just encouraging you. that kind of like, Romanticize your life as you want to to kind of try and get through like the mundane stuff and that's how she managed to survive being in all these different orphan asylums like growing up oh, it's just so lovely and uh, I heard a woman in a bookstore say like trying to find a book for her kid to read and was like I' read Anna Green Gables I didn't like it and I was like I don't like you." <laughs> There's just this level of, like, you probably don't have a heart if you don't connect somewhat. I don't know. But maybe she didn't like the overwrought writing. Sometimes I'm like, okay, settle down, Anne. You know? But then, like, Marilla's kind of there for that. So I was like, cool. I keep getting older and I keep being like Marilla.
0: <laughs> Is the first book your favorite? or?
1: Yeah, probably. That's the one I remember the most of all of them. I'm rereading them all now and I'm on the third one. And she's, like, in college right now. Okay. And, uh, Yeah. It's good. Pretty good? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. So I'll find out how the rest of them stack up. I like the guy she ends up marrying. He's very cute.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's talk honorable mentions. Sure. So I'm going to put this one forward for both of us. Um, Rainbow.
1: Yeah, Rainbow Rowell.
0: Um, Rowell, I'm not sure. Yeah. For me specifically, mostly Eleanor and Park. Not that I haven't also loved everything that I've read so far. <laughs> but that was the one that I was That's the one you like, read first. That That one... I don't cry a lot from stuff, not because I'm averse to it. It's just that isn't my physical reaction for the most part, but it got me to tear up. And for me, that's like bawling. Yeah, <laughs> um, <yeah>. So <laughs> at the end of that one, I teared up and I'm like, wow. So I think, I think something just changed inside of me. <laughs> oh, so wow.
1: I need um, to read this then. I um, mean, I'm going to, I have it. Yeah. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah.
0: I don't, I like, I don't even know what it like. Just every once in a while, something will come along and just trigger something. And I'm like, That that hits something that I can't even articulate. So that one, I think, is going to go for both of us. For me, I also want to put forth a few of my favorite authors, which would be uh, Neil Shusterman. I knew it. (laughs) Uh, He's just one of the most consistent authors in the teen uh, genre for me. He's written some really great series. He's written um, the Everlost trilogy. It's about a form of limbo where kids' uh, spirits go when they're... um, when they die, but when not they,
1: baptized. <laughs> sorry, uh,
0: it's where they go and they're they're dead, but they haven't, they're not ready to go to whatever lies beyond. He doesn't really go into any of that. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't talk very religiously, but it's just a place for where they end up. Um, he also has this really cool mechanic in it where places that have a big emotional tie can cross over to this place as well. If you're in a location that hasn't crossed over, you start to sink into the earth so you, the only safe places are these places where things have happened. So, like, the Twin Towers are there. Oh. The Hindenburg crash is still there. I think the Titanic uh, is... Con- How do you get there? <laughs> That's <laughs> the thing is it, it remembers its route. So, like, oh. there are ships that remember whatever their last route was. And so it'll just constantly go back and forth. Like, I think there's a ferry that does that, too. So he has that. He has the Unwind series, which is about... The second civil war is fought over uh, abortion rights, and the uh, the end result is, from birth to thirteen, uh, you can't interfere, but from thirteen to eighteen, you can have your child unwound, which is where every piece of them gets uh, removed to be used for transplants. Okay. And so you meet you meet a kid who's kind of a troublemaker that's been sentenced to that. You meet an orphan girl who doesn't perform well enough and gets sentenced to that to like cut costs. And then you meet a boy who has been taught that that is the highest form of, like, servitude to, like, others is to become a a tithe for unwinding. And so you follow the three of them. And at one point in the book, you are in the point of view of a person who gets unwound. And so you're there during the process. And it's one of the scariest things I've ever read. Uh. And they actually, they made a short film about it on YouTube. And it's also horrifying okay. um and then he has a book that just came out a couple of years ago called challenger deep about a kid suffering from schizophrenia and you don't know you're in his point of view but you don't understand what he's going through and so it, it just feels like you're switching between these two stories until you start to realize that part of it is how he is seeing and feeling other things um so there's this whole thing with a pirate ship where you're like what the heck is the pirate ship <laughs> doing here and then you start to understand it and I have a family member who, uh, has dealt with schizoaffective disorder since he was a teenager. Um, and so it really helped me understand some okay. of the stuff that he might've had to deal with. But Schusterman, like, I will pick up anything he's written. Um, he has the Scythe series that just finished, right, uh, yeah. earlier this year. And I'm working through that. Um, Owen Colfer, he wrote the Artemis Fowl series. It's not for everybody. He also wrote, um... It's not for everybody. It's not. Uh, He's saying that
1: because I read the first book and hated
0: it. <laughs> well, it's it's one of the ones where it's like, I like it because I like the kind of the trappings of it, but it doesn't have a whole lot of depth overall for the most part. There are a couple of spots where there is, but it's it's more of just a, you're either going to like this weird venture thing about a rich pompous kid who decides that he wants to hijack fairy treasure or you're not. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, but he also wrote um, a book called The Supernaturalist, which I don't remember anything of, but I remember it's good. And then The <laughs> Wishlist. The Wishlist is about a girl who, uh, she's been like this rowdy troublemaker, <laughs> shoplifting and graffiti and stuff her whole life. And then she's she's with some kids and they're bullying this old guy. And uh, they accidentally set his house on fire. And she dies rescuing him. Oh. And when she goes into the afterlife she learns that that she was like bad. Like she was going to the bad place that put her right at the middle. They don't know where to send her. Yeah. So they send her back to life and they give her like a month and it's like, figure this out because however you perform here, that's where we're sending you. And so she has to figure out how to like adjust like the life that she is. So she ends up going back to the old guy and like, like she has to like be his like assistant. Like Uh it's his like, life assistant for a while. So that one's cool. Um, Patrick Carmen, he was actually in Walla Walla for a few years and, um, I emailed him in my senior year of high school and he was my mentor for my senior project. Oh wow. He didn't do a whole lot. He oh, mostly okay. just signed off on the paperwork, but it was cool that I could say that he was my mentor. Yeah. Um, he has a cool little fantasy series called the land of Elion. And then after he wrote a couple of like more regular stuff, he decided that he wanted to kind of explore the, intersection between technology and literature. So he has a series called Skeleton Creek and another one called Trackers where you will read a chapter and then, for Skeleton Creek you read a chapter and it's this this guy's journal about weird stuff happening in this in his small town. And then it will give you a password at the end and you input that password on the Skeleton Creek website and then you get a, a video blog that his best friend is sending him. And so it tells the story by going back and forth between those. Uh-huh. He also has a cool book called 13 Days to Midnight, but uh, he's another one of those ones where I will at least check out everything. He's He's been skewing a bit younger for the last few years, so I haven't been as excited, um, but he's pretty cool. And then the last one I want to touch on really quick is Margaret Peterson Haddix. Okay. Uh, she wrote The cha- Shadow Children, yeah. which is where it's illegal to have more than two kids, and the main character is a third child, and he's been living in secrecy. And it's this whole, this whole story of these third children or fourth or fifth <laughs> the, having to live a, a secret identities that there's a, there's an underground system where you can, you can adopt a third child if you, so that, so nobody will ever know that they were a third child and you just act like they're your biological kid. Um, and the whole thing actually culminates with them trying to trigger an actual social revolution to like get this fixed. And they have, you know, they, they're like picketing and stuff like that. Um, she also has a few other like single books, like running out of time, uh, which, is, like, if you've ever watched The Village by M. Night Shyamalan, it's The Village. Okay. (laughs) It's The Village, but less less pseudo-supernatural.
1: Okay.
0: She learns that she has been living in a uh, public-presented recreation of, like, pioneer times or something for educational purposes. (laughs) And so she gets out, and then all of a sudden she's in, like, the 90s, and she's like, What do I do with this? (laughs) <laughs> um, and then she has The the House on the Gulf, which is pretty good, and Double Identity. I just remember some other authors, but I'm not going to touch on them because I want to give you a chance. We still have plenty of time, by the okay. way, so feel free. All though. right.
1: Cool. Okay. I didn't write down uh, honorable mentions, but I guess I'll just start naming some stuff. Uh, there's a good book called Annie on My Mind by, I think, Nancy Garden, and it's a little it's teen lesbian romance that was written in like, the 70s or maybe the 80s, and uh, there's a happy ending. No, is one it, ha- no one has to die.
0: Is it coded, or is it like... They're... It's not
1: coded. It's blatant. They nice! Fall, they fall in love with each other. Nice! And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and they actually get caught because one of the girls, uh, she like goes to like this uh, private school, and then Annie, of the the titular character, she goes to a, a public school. I, mean, I think this is all in New York. And uh, the main girl... I can't remember her name. This is so, so bad. So, like, the main girl... She's house sitting for two of her teachers who she doesn't get are lesbians, but they are. She's house sitting for them, We're just going in there and like watering plants and like whatever. I think there might be a pet she has to look after, whatever. But that becomes like her and Annie's hookup spot. And they get discovered there, and then she gets outed pretty badly. And as mm. a result, the teachers are outed pretty badly. Mm. And because uh, they make the inference that this girl decided to be lesbian because she saw the teacher so the teachers lose their jobs um so that's sad and the girl she feels like she's disappointed her family so she just kind of cuts everything off with Annie and then uh, the story ends with them both in college and she goes to visit Annie and that like what was there was still like there and like it's a happy ending like no one has to die (laughs)
0: that sounds sounds like a cute little ending
1: it's a very good story like my ex had it uh, and I read it and I was just like, oh my God, it's like one of the few books that you've got that are actually good.
0: <laughs> was it just squashing in between a bunch of like James Patterson?
1: <laughs> no, no. It was uh, Sarah Dessen. Oof. And Maureen Johnson. There's, there were some other stuff that was really like basic teen stuff that I'm super not into. And if you're into it, that's fine. That's, that can be on your list. It's not on mine. And I'll also say uh, Mary Downing Hahn for honorable mention. A lot of her work that I remember growing up with was solid. Can't speak to what the modern day stuff is because, eh. But got to say Time for Andrew was a really awesome one. Wait till Helen it comes. It's yeah. so good. And um, The Gentleman Outlaw and Me, Eli, which I'm always going to love. I don't know if I want to get into that because it's been a while since I read it uh what else um the uh I can't, I can't remember the title of it but it's by blue bath
0: oh yeah out. the the right three and the uh well the
1: first one is the uh
0: chasing vermeer R- chasing
1: vermeer i i read that when i was in college for a young adult literature class and i that remember, one's good i remember being charmed by that it's like kids having an adventure uh there's a lot of like weird stuff thrown in it's just so fun where you can pull like your different interests together into one thing so he was like he must have been the the he I don't know what the gender is of blue I, I believe it's a woman okay so uh just throw in your interest in Vermeer's art which I really do enjoy Vermeer's art not necessarily uh the draw the portrait that's used no it was like I think it's a woman drawing or something like yeah. that lady drawing something like that my favorite is the one with the woman pouring milk that's that's my favorite but, uh, and then throwing in, like, all the stuff about Charles Fort, who was a weird dude. <laughs> and it's all, like, the adults aren't listening, so the kids are like, well, we're gonna take it upon ourselves to help our friend who's in trouble. Uh,
0: That's, like, um, one of the reasons I really liked The Wright Three is because I had taken an appreciation of architecture class, and I okay. thought Frank Lloyd Wright's architecture was super cool. It's really cool. Very creative, Very interesting.
1: Oh, I read one called uh, Monday's Not Coming. Uh, oh, yeah, that was that was super recently. Co- well, I gave that five stars. I don't hand out five stars very often, and I cried at the end. But basically, uh, this takes place in Washington, D.C. Everyone in the story is black. There's, like, no, like, token white person to throw in, like, hey, yeah. It's like, no, she- it was a black author. She's own voices. I'm just writing this experience, and if you uh, haven't experienced it before, cool. Uh, otherwise, we're gonna- we're doing this. And I'm like, cool, write it, write it how the experience is. Don't try and, like, make it easier for, like, white audience- audiences to follow this. So, what you made it, like, more interesting. Because I'm like, oh, okay. Because I, I'm, I'm white. I don't, just, like, different things about hair. And, uh, on how, like, the school system works in D.C., it's different. You can, uh... Like I I know where everywhere I've grown up is this they tell you based on where you live where you're going to school yeah well there you can apply to go to different schools and uh, there's like good ones and bad ones and everything in between but uh, but anyway so the main girl her name's Claudia (laughs) she has a best friend named Monday and they have been best friends for a really long time and Monday has a really bad home life or Claudia is not fully aware of it. She's kind of sensitive, cause, cause um, Monday really shields her from it, and like doesn't discuss it, and like shuts down anything that's may- might start to go in that direction. So she spends a lot of time at Claudia's house, where uh, she's an only, where Claudia's an only child. So she just gets gets to experience what it's like to have like two present parents, where everyone loves and supports one another, and then uh, that's what she gets from that friendship. And then Claudia is severely dyslexic. And it's never discovered the whole time she's going to school because Monday does her homework. So she spends like a summer, she spends every summer visiting relatives and then she comes back and uh, Monday doesn't really tell her how she spent her summer or whatever. It's just she's glad to hear all about Claudia's summer. But she comes back and Monday's, she's not, she wasn't, she doesn't, at the house waiting for her. The mom's like, yeah, I didn't really see her this summer. And. Uh, she calls and the phone line's disconnected. So she's like, what's going on? And she goes to the house and and Monday's mom's like, she's with her dad and like slams the door in her face. And she's like, well, when did she ever see the dad? And then she sees like Monday's older sisters. Like, is she visiting? Like, where's Monday? She's like, oh, she's with our aunts. And she's like, your mom said she's with her- your dad. What's going on? And uh, every adult is just like, uh, you know, girls grow apart. Maybe she just doesn't want to hang out with you anymore. I'm like, she wouldn't fall off the face of the earth to avoid a friend she doesn't want to talk to anymore. Are you kidding me? And everyone, like, all these social safety like, she tells a teacher that she really respects and trusts all about uh, how no one's seen Monday and she's getting different stories. So the teacher goes to the principal and they're like, oh, yeah, she's not enrolled. And they're like, yeah, we, we know that, but where is she? And they're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, aren't you supposed to know? Don't, don't you have to, like, give, you know, if they go to a different school, then you send their records to the next school. Like, you, you do something. And they're like, oh, well, we've called social services, and the social worker says she's fine. Turns out social worker never went there. And that happens a lot in real life. There's just all these social safety nets that just don't catch anybody, and Monday just falls through the cracks. But the only person who's consistently like, we need to find out what happened to her is her friend, it's such a good story. I think everybody should read it. <laughs> I'm thinking about everything. But it's just, it's something you need to be more aware of. And I was sitting the whole time like, oh, how can this happen? Like, there's this and that and the other. And I go, if she was a blue-eyed white girl, that whole town would have been shook upside down trying to find her. And there's even a point where the girl, like Claudia, goes to the police station to be like, I can't find my friend's missing. And the, and the cop, she talks to, is like, really? She's missing? Here, let me show you something. It shows her the board of all these black girls where just like, and he's all like, they're missing. Why don't you, you know, like just goes off on her about like, maybe your friend just ran away and clearly doesn't want to do his job. And I'm not even going to throw him a bone because he was just such a shitty character because I know that they're overworked and all that, but such a good story. It's really important. And it wasn't overly preachy because sometimes important stories have, like, this preachiness to Mm -hmm. it, and this one doesn't, and it felt very real, and I just loved it. It was so good. Uh, I think that's it for my honorable mentions. I'm sure I'm forgetting a million stuff, but it's only a limited amount of time. (laughs) What's your number one, Josh?
0: (laughs) Well, it's not as important as that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't mean... I mean it's not diminishing anymore. I know, <laughs> I know it's
0: just, it, it's like how we did the flip-flop from real fiction to fantasy. It's like, well going as far away as we can from <laughs> stuff that matters. <laughs> My number one The Game of Sunken Places by M. T. Anderson. Okay. This was one of five books that I purchased back when there was a bookstore at the Outlet Mall. And that was a long time ago. Exactly. <laughs> and I remember reading it and thinking it was cool. Selling it and then be like, I want to reread it again. I couldn't find it. Oh no! I eventually found a paperback uh, at a used bookstore, but I was like, ah, it was a hardcover. I remember like the hardcover, like cool texture or something. So I wanted to track. I tracked down a hardcover. It took me, like three years to get a hardcover. Now I have, I have two hardcovers. I have a reader copy and like a pristine one. Think Jumanji, but like more fantasy. Not like, not like real animals and stuff, but like elves and goblins sort of thing okay um two kids brian and gregory go uh they have a very convenient great uncle that they've never heard of that's in the mountains of vermont that they're gonna go visit and as they're going up there they're like did you know about this? is this is this a weird thing um <laughs> <Is this allowed? laughs> and they go up and he lives in this mansion and he he looks and talks like he is straight out of victorian times
1: oh jeez. um
0: and his, they, there's a cousin that lives with him that is also very prim and proper. And uh, they're like, this is weird. And he makes them... Burn all their regular clothes and wear like knickers and suspenders oh, no. and stuff, and they're like, "This is awful." And he shows yeah. them their playroom, and there's just like there's like a jigsaw puzzle and like jacks. And oh, he's no. like, He's like, he's like, you young gentlemen will have a, a swell time here, and you can. And they shows them like that there's some the forest that they can go, and they're like, "This is dumb." <laughs> okay, you have a dumb uncle, and I hate it. <laughs> and then they go. And they find a board game for the Game of Sunken Places. And it only has the first part of the board filled in. The rest of it's blank. And it has the starting place is the house. Okay. And there are a couple of landmarks that are familiar to what's out in the forest. And as they go and explore, it starts to fill out the board. And they come to learn that there are two factions. There are the Norambegans, who are these, uh, who's like this elven society that lived here and um, this is, like, their, their homeland and stuff. And they're trying to reclaim it from the Thusser Horde, who are these, like, dark elves. Okay. And the game is to decide the fate of the land. And so there are, they, there are two... Players And so Brian and Gregory are for one group and there's some other person that's playing against them for whatever is going to happen. So they are exploring the, the ruins of old Norambega and things like that. And there are some really, really fun twists that I don't want to spoil. And the book's like 260 pages. It's a quick okay. read. But there's some really fun stuff that I'm like, cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, do that. Um, and I have so much fun with it. And it's so... Anderson's writing is so very quirky he's written a couple of other books that lean hardcore into his quirky he's written feed <laughs> and thirsty um and they like they play with um they play with presentation a little bit like this one's a lot more of a straightforward narrated story but the the dialogue is really goofy and there's some very what, how did you even think of okay yes but how did you come up with that um, and I've now I read it every like year or two and it's 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 probably like my biggest comfort book you and, had me
1: at Jumanji <laughs>
0: and like and like six years later he expanded it into a four book series uh the first book still completely stands alone okay um the rest of them stray further and further away from core game it starts to go more into some of the culture of the Nuremberg and the Thasser, and it gets, it gets Really, really strange. Let's put it this way. The third book takes place inside what may or may not be a gigantic organism. Thousands of miles large. But you're not sure. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And then people start, like, being, like, 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 getting consumed by the walls and all of a sudden they're like partially in the walls and they don't care and then they like there are kids that'll like go out and play in the yard and then like they'll cycle through the same activity for hours and hours because they don't realize they're cycling through it things just start to get really strange in the rest of the yeah. series I enjoy it all but the first book just by it like by itself is like it You yeah it's just so fun
1: it's, it's just like your heart book that you've like glommed onto yes like that's my heart book yeah (laughs) my number one is a heart book as well (laughs) okay good way to segue i guess number one is the little princess by Frances hodgson Burnett, which is i just realized how super femmy like my top two are (laughs) (laughs) but uh anyone who doesn't know *The little princess tells a story about a little girl named sarah crew uh she grows up in india her dad's a officer in the british army and uh, he decides he wants her to be educated back in england so he takes her back there he takes her to miss minchin's academy for girls whatever it was it's miss minchin's select seminary for young ladies just suddenly hit me <laughs> <laughs> miss minchin's a cow but um she she's called like the little princess because her dad just throws all his money on her okay like she has like a special little carriage with ponies uh, she has like all these wonderful dresses and stuff she has her own little french maid anything she could possibly want like her dad gets her dolls and stuff and uh but it doesn't make her like a shitty entitled little brat mm-hmm. she's actually like the like a very kind person and she's very imaginative and she's always like inventing stories and she makes friends at the school by telling her like all her stories and everyone's just like ooh, great stories, except for, like, the girl who's jealous of her is all like, my mother says making up stories is evil. You know, she's like, well, I'm not lying. I'm just telling a story. I'm like, okay. But, uh, so she's at the school for a few years, and then her dad dies. And when he dies, he'd speculated all his money into this diamond mine that turned out didn't have any diamonds in it. Oh, no. so <laughs> all his money is gone. And she has all this shit. And, <laughs> And Miss Minchin has already, like, thrown, like, a party for her. And the way she covers for Sarah's expenses is, like, the dad sends a check and then she, like, gets paid back for buying the stuff. And now it's like, well, crap. All this excessive crap that she got and now I'm on the hook for it. Damn it. So she's super mad. She, like, takes... She goes, like, go up to your room and put on the simplest dress. And she's like, you're not keeping any of that shit. You're gonna live in my attic you're You're gonna work off everything that I just spent on this. And the little girl's like, "You're gonna regret being this mean to me." And she's like, "Don't talk to me." <laughs> and so she's, and then it's like more years. I like this because it just takes place over the span of years where she's just this serve this this drudge working in this and and that just just this fall from grace. And uh, it does affect her. she she doesn't get as much to eat anymore. So she's just constantly hungry. And she has a fit about it like once, just like, oh my god, I'm so she like got to keep like one doll that her dad got her. And so she just talks in and her name's Emily, she just talks to her like, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten since I've been up since before daybreak. And now it's night and I still haven't had anything to eat. Do you even care? Like slaps the doll. And I'm just like, This poor kid. And then she picks the doll up like, I'm sorry, I just completely (laughs) lost I'm like, it's fine. You can go ahead and be upset about that. You don't need to apologize. But then through like a series of like, I can admit the weaknesses of this story because it turns out like he didn't actually lose all his money in the diamond mine. Uh, the, the friend that had given him like the tip to do this, like, got, is like a really sickly person it just happens to move to London as well and right in the house next door. And meanwhile, he's like, oh, my friend had a little girl. Where can I find her? And I was like, if you were in business with him, wouldn't your lawyer know his lawyer? You should be able to find her, like, fast. What? Why? This is stupid. So there's, like, parts of it where I can, like, you know, kind of look at it and go, like, this is kind of dumbly constructed. But I just love the story so much. But, I'm you know, eventually she, the guy finds her, and then she's, like, lifted back up again, and she isn't all like, I'm punishing all of you or anything. She's just, like, no, I'm just a princess. I'm still the princess, and I'm still kind, and... It actually has made me kinder because I know what suffering is. (laughs) I I don't know. It's just such, like, a nice little story. And it's not as preachy as The Secret Garden was, where there's, like, barely a conflict. Like, they invented conflict for the film. And I remember seeing the film before I read the book and being like, this is a great film. And then reading the book, I'm like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) It's this weird, preachy bullshit that I'm not into. But I guess... A Little Princess is pretty preachy, but it's just really sweet. And I love the Alfonso Cuaron film adaptation that is just so amazing. And it, like, makes me cry every time I watch it. And I got to see it in the theater, and my grandma took me to see it. And ah, it's just, I, I just love it. It's my it's my heart book. that It's my comfort read that I always come back to, and I reread it every few years. And I love it. And if you don't, that's fine, but suck it i love it
0: <laughs> cool
1: so yeah this has been our first top 10 top 20 i guess
0: yeah i think maybe not this exact sort of thing for like people we forgot but like some sort of other thing would be a fun way to close that next year
1: oh beverly cleary
0: right i was like oops uh, i was like <laughs> let's see read a bunch of roland smith right yeah
1: yeah we can make another one next year
0: yeah or f- find some other theme of like
1: yeah yeah <clears throat> Maybe, like, I'm forced to, like, pick books that were written by men and you're... (laughs) Because I don't think I have... Roll Doll. Oh, Terry and Neil. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mine was five and five. um, But then I had a lot more men in my uh, honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so let us know if you enjoyed us doing this as, like, a not single book discussion maybe we can find some other things to talk about just because it's kind of like bonus things because this takes a lot less prep work yeah this <laughs> we, is nice this is just us sitting and talking basically if you guys liked any of the stuff that we read or you want to suggest something that you think that we would like based on the stuff that like these lists especially towards the end got very personal for us so if you think that there's something that's like i think that would have like hit you in that same way let us know uh at gmail.com or twitter and instagram at hfkpodcasts uh, that being said, next month we're going to be doing
1: <laughs> <laughs> A Glory uh, of Unicorns. A Glory
0: of Unicorns, an anthology edited by Bruce Koval. We totally didn't just record the episode for that no! two hours ago. Why would we do that? <laughs> so that we can enjoy the holidays and not have to worry about reading things. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that'll be our January. We'll be back to normal stuff at that point. Hello, Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com if you'd like to contact us. I just told you how to do that. We're on most things, apparently not Spotify or Google Play at the moment, but I'll see if I can get any of that sorted out at some point. See you in 2020! Bye!